I think it's really important to off the bat, make sure that you're in touch with what the local competition is doing in China. Uh, we tend to see some companies that assume that since they've gained really positive attention or had some initial success in the U.S., that they're guaranteed to be out ahead of competitors in China. And that's just not a safe assumption at all nowadays, especially if we're looking at software products, anything with an AI component. So I think it's becoming more difficult to be competitive in China. Welcome to China Biz Connect, the podcast that explores the fast-changing landscape of business-to-business -business sales and marketing in China with your hosts, Tim Lindemann and Michael Bragan. Today, we will be interviewing Tony Diorsi, Deputy General Manager of TechCode Boston, an accelerator advising and supporting Boston-based tech startups with their international expansion. TechCode is a leading entrepreneurship ecosystem with deep ties to the China market, and many of the tech startups Tony works with are focused on growing their business in the China market. Tony, it's great to have you on the show. Could you begin by telling us a little about yourself and your China experience? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be on. So when I had finished undergrad in 2010, I was a little bit unsure about what I was going to do next. I had originally intended to go to law school. That's kind of what I had aimed a lot of my coursework at towards the end of my undergrad journey. And when I went to get recommendations from professors, uh, I got one. I went to a second professor that I knew pretty well and who knew me. And he said he would give me the recommendation, but essentially was just like, dude, don't go to law school now. You're 22. This is a perfect time in your life to go do something interesting and to go explore, learn more about yourself, see what you like and don't like. So I talked to him a little bit more and he had really put me up to it and said, which classes did you enjoy the most? And where did you find the most stimulation? I had taken politics of China and I think economics of China. and was really fascinated by the growth that was happening there. So he said, try to figure out something to do there. I'm not sure if that's working in the company that does business there or if you can find some type of employment opportunities, internship opportunities. So realistically, I had no ideas at the time. So I did what I think everybody does who wants to go to China without a well-laid plan. I did some research, went over and taught English for a few months. But a little bit less than a year into that, I realized that the startup scene, especially in Shanghai at the time, was very dynamic, was growing really fast, and there were a lot of opportunities there. So I ended up finding an internship in a web startup, a website called Shanghai 24-7, and they're a ticketing event website in Shanghai. Probably about six months into that, my manager left, went to a consumer goods startup, and lucky enough, she took me with her. That company was called Eco and More, still around today. So it was essentially a foreign developed product, but for the Chinese market. So I worked there as the marketing manager for about two and a half years, really from the initial growth of just having a small office in an apartment to eventually the company, by the time I had left, had a few offices, a few physical stores, and was selling millions of units a year online through Tmall, uh, Yihaodian, and some of the other major e-commerce platforms. From there, I ended up just kind of, again, very serendipitously coming into contact with a market entry firm called China Integrated, a small but very well-reputed firm in Shanghai and Beijing. 
So I spent two years working for them in Shanghai, uh, worked with some mostly technology SMEs, but a few major global brands as well on their China market entry, client identification, branding, marketing strategy. And then I ended up actually moving back to Boston, where I still worked for China Integrated and kind of handled the first level consultations and initial, I guess, coaching of potential clients who are considering making the jump into the China market, but weren't quite close enough to that decision to go and start setting up meetings in China. So probably about a year and a half after moving back to Boston, I came into contact with TechCode. They had a little bit of a dual model where they would do some local acceleration, but also support startups who really demonstrated that global potential in going and leveraging their opportunities overseas with a focus on China, of course. I was brought in by TechCode to set up the Boston office. So we set up a small incubator here, still focused mostly on providing services to startups. The biggest pain point for them was actually connecting to B2B clients. And especially when it came to doing those sales overseas in China. So uh, after having this experience a few times, we started to internally craft some corporate products. In the past six months, we've launched a new department, which we call the Industry Development Department, where we'll help major corporations reach into the innovation pool and start to leverage those external opportunities to improve the products that they're delivering to current customers, to help them to explore new markets, or maybe just to improve internal efficiency. So I'm now the vice general manager of the industry development department. I split my time 60-40, 60% really focusing on helping our teams around the world to implement these open innovation programs for bigger corporations. And then I spend about 40% of my time here in Boston working with local startups or managing some of our acceleration programs here. Uh, been very interesting, an interesting few years at TechCode. And things are changing very rapidly in China, as always. And I think things are only getting more interesting, more challenging in some areas, but for the most part, still very interesting. Yeah, thank you so much, Tony, for the introduction. And I think for a lot of our listeners, what you were saying in terms of the time that you spent in Shanghai helping SME tech companies to land in China is particularly interesting. And also the work that you're doing here in Boston, helping startups to go overseas and especially to get to China is very interesting. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how Tech Code helps tech companies who are considering going to the China market? Yeah, so there's essentially two categories. The first category would be our acceleration programs. So these would be programs where we work with startups locally and we'll, of course, uh, deliver a lot of some of the normal acceleration services, which would be connections to funding, some financial due diligence to really understand the company's trajectory and uh, what their financial health is where we see them growing, what type of growth potential we see, uh, where their opportunities are. And then I think after getting to know them for three or four months, we have a better understanding of their potential to do business in China and where they might fit in to the market there. Uh, and then we would go to a second level where we would offer maybe, I would say I have a pool of 
10 to 15 startups. At the end of the day, only two or three are going to make the jump to China uh, at the end of that point. Some maybe in the future, some uh, months or years on. But uh, obviously, it's a very difficult market, very competitive. So the second level of those acceleration services would really be on the ground in China. So we'll usually organize a China trip every year. And the idea of this trip would be to set up really rapid fire, face-to-face -face meetings where startups are talking directly to potential clients of theirs. Uh, and then you'd always want to start from assessing their ability to generate interest from clients and then work backwards to things like sources of funding. Of course, every startup wants to meet investors in China. There's a very vibrant capital scene. But really, that's not relevant until you've validated the interest from potential customers. Then we would work backwards to seeing if they'll be able to raise the requisite funds to launch the operation in China. And then we would go down. Once they're ready to execute, we'd look at things like setting up an entity, um, maybe helping them find physical space, recruiting talent. Um, but at the end of the day, all of it's going to come from that first level of their ability to generate interest from clients uh, and them having a clear path to revenue in China. Uh, we see sometimes that companies who haven't gone through these paces in a standard, uh, more structured way have a tendency to jump the gun, to go and talk directly to investors or to go set up the entity and figure things out later. And uh, obviously, that's not going to be the course of action that we advise. It's always going to be a matter of understanding what your business opportunities are. So I would say that post the local acceleration and prior to the China landing and acceleration services we offer, really our core competency is helping startups to identify who their clients are going to be and to validate that interest from the potential clients. And I think that's an area where we really punch above our weight there's a few reasons for that is that we do have a good spread in China. So now we're operating something to the tune of seven or eight offices in all of the major cities in China. But through the open innovation projects, through the open innovation programs that we run, sometimes for companies in China, we've gotten really good insight into what some of the larger corporates look for, what some of their pain points are, where there are gaps in the market where foreign startups, foreign technology can solve problems. Uh, what they're willing to pay, what their level of engagement is going to be. And from that, I think we're able to glean a lot of insights. And it makes it a lot smoother when we go and help startups to facilitate conversations with larger corporates. So that kind of moves us into the second category. Another way that we would help startups to go and start to develop connections, relationships in China would be through corporate open innovation projects where there's either RFPs, requests for proposals published by a corporate in China, or there might just be an open innovation contest, something like a pitch contest, or whether it's a more comprehensive project, we're helping them to bring in companies that they would look for uh, potential cooperations with, either through procurement or through licensing opportunities, maybe eventual investments, something like that. But I think these two models, the acceleration, corporate innovation, really do inform each other and really do make it so that we're able to help startups make a very educated or execute a very educated process of decision making when they're looking to enter the Chinese market and evaluate their opportunities. So I think for us, it all really starts from the commercial opportunities. 
Once we're able to validate those to a significant level of confidence, then we would move down the line to things like entity registration support or support on fundraising. But again, the ability of a startup to do business in China is really going to be the main point of evaluation for us. Tony, I'm wondering if you've seen any pushback or any impact on the desire and motivation of companies that are your customers or, or prospective customers, given the recent trade dispute, and if uh, that's something that factors into your planning and strategy? It hasn't necessarily influenced uh, the work that we do. It certainly hasn't negatively impacted any of the companies we work with. What I've actually seen is more of a positive effect that startups who are considering going to China are more at an early stage engaging with their legal support, their lawyers here in the U.S. to understand risks. They're ensuring, of course, that anything they're doing overseas is not going to be subject to export controls. They're taking the steps to protect their IP, being smarter about that, not waiting until a problem emerges, going and really taking steps to control risks prior to even exploring the market. So in that respect, it's been positive because you don't need to convince companies so much of that anymore. They're aware of the risks and um, they're smart about their planning. So in that respect, it hasn't been much influence. I think we're not usually dealing in hard goods. So it's not like we're going and facilitating soybean trade, something like that. So no real material impact. But I think for everybody involved in this sector, it's just important to be cautious, pay attention to the changes on both sides of the ocean in either laws or even in political sensitivities, and just be mindful of that. I think for us, we've really um, been careful to make sure that we avoid anything that could be misconstrued as politically sensitive. And at the same time, I think that making sure that you have conversations early on with a startup where they're aware of some of the potential risks and they take steps to really mitigate those risks is really important. One of the first things I'll do when I talk to a startup here in the U.S. is make sure that they've had a conversation with their lawyer. And if they haven't, then they should go do that. Uh, and you should do that anyway as a startup before you go raise funds, before you go and start signing contracts with clients. So this is just adding another extension onto that normal process, is making sure that you've got all of your ducks in a row with regard to expanding overseas and making sure that you're not going to do something that puts your company at risk long-term. So I see a lot more willingness for companies to do that. I see them engaging with their legal support a lot earlier in the game, maybe even prior to doing pitches or doing BD in China. So overall, I don't really see any uh, major impacts in a negative sense. I just see a lot more awareness. So, Tony, you talked a little bit about the importance of the technology products being able to find customers in China and how that was a prerequisite to going to market. And I'm wondering if you have an idea of the kind of technology products that are a good match for the China market. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think there's really any limit. I think the key is whether it's clearly differentiated versus local competitors, uh, number one on quality, but also on cost. 
So when it comes to validating your potential with customers, I think it's really important to off the bat, make sure that you're in touch with what the local competition is doing in China. Uh, we tend to see some companies that assume that since they've gained really positive attention or had some initial success in the U.S., that they're guaranteed to be out ahead of competitors in China. And that's just not a safe assumption at all nowadays, especially if we're looking at software products, anything with an AI component, IoT very strong in China right now too. So I think it's becoming more difficult to be competitive in China, for sure. So how you would necessarily go and validate your differentiation, that's difficult because there's a very vibrant startup culture in China right now. New companies are being launched every day. They tend to go on a very fast sprint to an IPO or some other type of exit and acquisition. They raise funds really quick. So I think for startups that are looking to differentiate themselves versus Chinese competitors and then eventually go and add value to a corporate client in China, I think you can start by really finding somebody who knows how to do this type of research, even if it's just high altitude research, skimming Chinese databases, looking for other startups and similar in your vertical, looking at their levels of funding, which companies they might be working with already, and just trying to understand the saturation of the market in your given technology vertical. And then from there, you should be able to do enough high-level research to understand whether or not you can be differentiated enough to go and explore the market. And if you're not, then it's probably just not the right fit for you. Uh, if you are, then I think you can start to go and validate things with larger corporates. But nowadays, the biggest barrier or the biggest challenge to foreign tech companies going into China by far is going to be competition. Of course, the first concern is always about IP. We hear that all the time. That's very valid. Another concern might be things like changing laws, unforeseeable regulations, other challenges are associated with culture or language. But the top challenge nowadays is certainly competition. There's just a very fast-growing, very strong tech sector in China. The talent is becoming much better. Educational attainment is very high. There's a heavy emphasis priority on it from the government. Universities are steering students towards technology sectors. And it's becoming a place where entrepreneurs are very hardened and aren't easily frightened by risk. So the competitive landscape is very strong. And that's always going to be your first challenge. So in going and presenting a value proposition to a client, I think the first step is really doing your research, whether it's the entrepreneurs themselves or whether they hire an agency or just simply find somebody who is savvy with Chinese databases, research resources to go and understand the competitive landscape. Because the time you, by the time you hear about a Chinese startup in the U.S., it's realistically probably too late. By the time they're making the news in TechCrunch or uh, in the New York Times, something like that, then folks have known about them in China for a long time. So. Given the vibrant, very strong capital sector in China, the fast-growing interest in technology, there's no longer an idea that a Chinese tech company is only strong if they're doing business overseas. The market is strong enough, it's fast-growing enough, where there's plenty of Chinese tech startups that are completely okay just to go after the home market 
and as a result, they won't receive so much attention overseas. So uh, I think that's a very low-hanging fruit is to find somebody who is skilled in market research and can help you actually understand if you're differentiated at all versus competitors in China and how exactly you're differentiated. And then from there, you can move to make the case to your potential clients in China. Yeah, that's some great stuff, Tony. I really appreciate your insight on that. And I couldn't agree with you more about the competition with Chinese tech providers being the most difficult hurdle to overcome before being successful in the China market for foreign tech companies. So, Tony, I'm wondering, from the perspective of tech code, when you're looking for potential startups to bring to the China market, do you have a way of segmenting the market? For example, we're going to focus on emerging tech versus mature technology. We're going to focus on consumer tech versus B2B tech. We're going to focus on tech that's focused on certain industries because these are the types of tech that do really well in China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think we, in terms of uh, verticals, we don't really stray too far from some of the core verticals. So for us, digital health, at least in the U.S., certainly in Israel, is uh, going to be probably our biggest sector. Uh, so we have a lot of focus on digital health, mostly in the consumer space, but some maybe in clinical or medical applications. But we've just seen a huge engagement by Chinese consumers with digital health products. So this is a huge vertical for us. And we also do have uh, interests from larger corporates. So we do some work for Bayer for their offices in China. So digital health, I would say, is probably the number one key vertical. Uh, fintech, more and more. So anything related to payments, to efficiency of underwriting for insurance companies, things related to data security. Blockchain has obviously become huge in this sector here in the U.S. So fintech is another interesting vertical. We have done some smart mobility projects. Most of those have been either focused within China. This is obviously a very hot industry in China. So smart mobility, everything from autonomous driving to navigation. Our offices in Germany are very active in the mobility sector. But I would say, at least here in the U.S., when we're looking at startups that have potential to do business in China, digital health, fintech, probably the two biggest sectors for us right now. As to your question about stage of maturity, for us, it's always going to have to be post-product. We'll look at levels of funding as being an indicator of investor confidence in the product and in the product market fit. But the level of maturity, the lower bound is always going to be post-product. And that's simply because if you're just at the concept early stage, it's going to be too hard to convince people overseas, especially larger corporations, that you have potential to add value to them without that product really being fleshed out and without there being use cases. Especially when we go back to the last question and consider how strong the competitive landscape is in China, you've really got to have a strong case for why your product is going to solve pain points for a client in China. So we would always look at product. That's going to be the lower bound. Verticals, we can be a little bit more flexible on as long as it's something that has true potential if it's something solving a very local problem, say in Silicon Valley, Boston, 
then that's probably not going to add too much value. But digital health, fintech, these types of products have very wide market applications. So these are probably the verticals we're focusing on the most. And certainly the stage is going to be post-product. Right. I do want to clarify, though, when I was asking about emerging versus mature tech, I was asking in more of a way regarding the technology itself, where IoT, AI, cloud, these types of tech being more emerging, where databases, storage, analytics software, things like that being more mature. So you can think about that in terms of the Gartner hype cycle. So mm. if you're looking at a tech, are you looking to bring in technology that's at the early stage of the hype cycle, or are you looking for more that have hit the plateau of productivity? Probably closer to the plateau of productivity, uh, something with a very clear market application that's solving a clear pain point. And part of the reason it would be closer to this area is that we do frequently work with larger corporates who want to see a tangible benefit from either procuring a product or from incorporating it into their line of products, or maybe from investing in the technology. And most of our clients on the open innovation side are indeed Western multinationals who are operating in China. So stability of the product is very important. I think that some of them may be more experimental, but for the most part right now, there is quite a bit of interest in not just products, but technologies that have demonstrated a clear value to the market. Tony, can you share any other advice for tech companies who are considering whether they should go to market in China? Number one, I would say make sure that this is going to be, you, you want to mitigate the disruption to your business as much as possible. So entering the Chinese market is not easy. The logistics tend to get oversold where folks will tell you it's very easy to register a wholly owned foreign enterprise in China. It is. They might say it's very easy to go and meet investors. You know, I think the accessibility tends to get oversold. At the end of the day, from the initial stage of doing market research, validating with your legal support here in the U.S. that this is going to be the right move for you, that the risks don't outweigh the benefits, doing that initial work, that's probably right there a half year, maybe a little bit less if you can do it efficiently, and then going and really working with folks on the ground in China to validate interests from clients to go and then recruit the team you need to raise the requisite funds to run your operation and then everything within the normal sales cycle, generating purchase orders from clients, receiving payments for those and just keeping your business running. I, I would say you really have to, from the beginning, understand all that is entailed with getting a business stood up in China and going after the market in a really smart way. So. I think in terms of granular advice, within each of those categories, validating the legal risks versus benefits, then going and doing your market research, then validating interest from customers, then raising funds, recruiting. Within each of those categories, there's going to be many, many considerations. There's going to be many small issues that you have to make sure that you're addressing. I would say just don't underestimate the time, don't underestimate the resources, and don't be shy about engaging advisors. 
oftentimes for companies where China is not the best fit for them, it's only after they've really gone and engaged with multiple advisors and gotten feedback from potential clients or potential investors in China that this idea just isn't really going to work there. So I would say really early in the game, start engaging with folks that can help you and probably more than one party. So your lawyers, maybe a platform like TechCode, maybe also once you're in China, consultants or your local trade office. So American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai, Beijing, the U.S. Commercial Service. Really, I would start engaging from the beginning and making sure that every step of the way, all of your decisions have been validated by somebody with experience in the field. So as far as advice to entrepreneurs, to startups looking to go to China, first and second is validate the legal risks. And then after that, really make sure that you have a full understanding of your ability to compete in the market and then understand how long it's going to take you to actually get set up and establish a revenue stream there. Don't just assume that if you can get a subsidiary registered and you can get a subsidy from a local government, that that's enough. Uh, We tend to see some startups really jump the gun and assume that if they can go do a roadshow in China, win a small cash prize and get a free entity registered, that they're there. That's realistically going to be the easiest part of all of it. But, um, you know, validating the interest from the market, making sure that the legal risks are mitigated, and then from there going and actually doing business and being able to maintain the business long-term, it's going to be extremely challenging. So I, I think in terms of general advice to entrepreneurs, make sure you understand the full scale of what you're trying to achieve. Tony, can you share an example of a tech company that you've worked with who is considering going to market in China? Give us an idea of the factors that they considered, what decision they made, and was it successful? There was a company that we worked with two years ago that had an AI solution for supply chain. And their considerations from the beginning were, of course, whether or not they were actually going to be be able to get stood up, get their product up and running in China because it was a SaaS platform. So I think product feasibility was probably one of the first questions they had to answer. Um, Beyond that, it was, of course, validating the interest the customers were actually going to use this platform. And then later on, uh, there was going to be concern over fundraising, over financial stability. What they ended up doing was they did do a joint venture I don't believe that TechCode helped them set up that joint venture. To my knowledge, they had already been exploring the partnerships. What we did do was, I want to say three times they went to China and we had our team members there set up meetings for them with potential clients, go to the meetings, and then come back and review and say, okay, you met with potential clients X, Y, and Z today. X and Z seems pretty interesting but why was probably just being polite to you and didn't really seem to have that strong of an interest. So the key consideration for them, I think the product feasibility was number one. In the end, it was feasible to get the solution stood up in China. Number two was, of course, validation of interest, which they did work with us quite extensively on. They did find that their solution was generating interest from customers in China. And then number three, was how they would actually finance the operation, how they would do recruiting, how they would get stood up. 
So that's a good example of a company that really did it right, that evaluated all of the risks, that went and started from the business opportunity and then worked backwards to a structure. I think a key mistake that you want to avoid is jumping right at the first opportunity that presents itself. It's not rare for a company to be at a conference or at a trade show and they meet a Chinese company in a similar vertical that says, hey, I have a great opportunity for you if you do a joint venture with me. I have the market, I have the customers, and we'll both make a lot of money. And then this is where startups or any company in general tend to kind of go down a spiral where they're so motivated to pursue this singular opportunity uh, that they don't quite realize that they might, number one, be making a bad decision, but number two, have the blinders on and be missing other opportunities to either do it by themselves and set up their own subsidiary or to go work with other partners, go after different segments of the market. I think it's a tendency of startups that are trying to move fast to be more receptive to opportunities that approach them. But I think when it comes to China, you really need to be very smart about validating your own potential and ability to do business before you start pursuing any type of partnership or engagement, especially anything as binding as a joint venture or receiving investment from a Chinese investor. You really need to understand what your opportunities are how you can best leverage those opportunities and how you can mitigate the risk. So for startups that are in that situation, I would say step back a little bit, cool off, and then start to go through the paces of doing your research, gathering data, and consulting with expertise as well to validate your opportunities. Be as substance over form as you can. It's very attractive if you have an opportunity or you appear to have an opportunity that can get set up in the next two or three months and you can take a fast track into the market, but it pays to do your due diligence in China. So I think I, I've probably, I'm beating a dead horse now, but validate your business opportunities, mitigate your risks, then establish your procedure from there. Tony, thank you very much. It was great having you on the show. Really appreciate your insights. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Music for the podcast is performed by the Chinese experimental rock band Chui Wan. We would love to hear your feedback, ideas, or any questions you might have. Feel free to reach out to us in any way you feel comfortable. Connect with us on LinkedIn or follow us on Twitter. Also visit our website, chinabizconnect.com, where you can view show notes and sign up for our newsletter. Please subscribe to China Biz Connect on iTunes or your favorite place to get podcasts. If you enjoy the show, give us a positive rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk with you again soon.